It had started one day with a note, weeks before. Mary, the widow of Joseph, who'd been carpenter for the town of Nazareth, had been out behind the house, hanging the laundry to dry in the setting sun. Walking back in, she saw a note sitting on the front step. The front door had been left open to let in the evening breeze. It was just a scrap of parchment, anchored to the step by a small stone. Mary, it read, I grow concerned for your eldest. I have seen him down by the sea near Capernaum. Vast crowds gather for his every teaching. They say he attempts to heal, even that he does heal some. The look in his eyes is far off and wild and very different. Is this the son you raised in your humble home? The note was left unsigned, as such notes almost always are. And it seemed to set off a chain reaction of similar communiques. Another note began, Mary, who does your son think he is? He is making Nazareth look like a haunt for crazy people. Another opened, Please take charge of your son. Some begin to call him a son of God. His actions are blasphemy and an embarrassment to you and your late husband. After this, day by day, she began to notice whisperings whenever she passed in the central square or was working her way through the morning market stalls. She sensed the furtive looks from others who would look away whenever she turned back. Nazareth began to feel like it was closing in on her. Yet, there was one more final straw to come. For you see, on the evening after he'd called to himself his chosen apostles, Jesus went indoors, but again such a crowd collected that it was impossible for them even to eat a meal. When his relatives, when his mother very especially, heard of this, they set out to take charge of him, for people were saying, He must be mad! You understand, it, it was one thing to put up with the shamefulness of her pregnancy with him, of the long months waiting upon his birth there with Elizabeth, and yet she handled well his chaotic delivery upon the dust and dirt of a stable in Bethlehem. She had never argued with Joseph about his dream and about Egypt. She had returned upon the death of King Herod without saying a word against this move back. She had taken in stride the odd experiences of her son's childhood, the eventual death of her beloved Joseph, the accession of Jesus to take over and run the business. She hadn't made a peep when he suddenly, summarily shuttered the storefront and walked off toward Jerusalem, or when she began hearing rumors from the seaside towns. But he wasn't eating properly? Well, now he'd gone too far. Interestingly, at a quite similar rate, and almost on the exact same timetable, rumors and notes and whispers were swirling their way up to Jerusalem, the capital city. The Pharisees, with the political backing of Herod's party, including its up-and-down-the-country power apparatus, had been passing word, both laterally and vertically, along and up Israel's spiritual hierarchy, about this same man. The Pharisees, the scribes, the temple authorities, the priests, 
and the high priest, all of them were hearing of, reading of, uh, narratives, accounts like these. A roving teacher, one Jesus from Nazareth, formerly a village carpenter, is gathering crowds by the thousands, mostly along the western shore of Kinneret. Jesus of Nazareth is consistently offending observation of the Sabbath and its ordinances and seems to be encouraging others to do likewise. Some of the common folk are beginning to ascribe wonder-working power to this Jesus from Nazareth. Men of the North Country are heard to call Jesus, lately of Nazareth, a son of God. This man himself doesn't seem to contradict this blasphemy. Investigate forthwith. So the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying that he was possessed by Beelzebub and that he drove out devils because he was in league with the prince of devils. They had convinced themselves of this quite obvious logical fallacy as they walked the dusty roads under the hot sun sent by the high priest himself on this annoying little Galilean errand. Their walking conversation had charted out the whole progression. First, the advent of that John called the Baptist, who was safely under arrest now. Then the rumors of this other, quite possibly a copycat, they were rumored to be cousins. Then the word of teachings, healings, the gathering of disciples by an untrained rabbi, no less. Then more recently, all of this talk of so-called spiritual authority. The whole thing really was just too much, too ridiculous. Unless something darker was at play. Well, these men, these scribes, arrived to Capernaum. The empty streets and stores and businesses perplexed them. Where were all the people? They asked the only person they happened across. Up the hill, listening to Jesus, the man returned. So, like apparently everyone else, they followed the road up toward the high road. They turned along the brow of the hill toward that noise. It was an odd sort of sound growing louder as they climbed, a mixture of voices, singing, laughter, shouts. The sound of it crescendoed up and up as they neared. They were walking toward a simple house surrounded by massive crowds. As was perfectly and really religiously proper, all that noise started dying out the moment the outdoor crowd caught sight of them. These held the hem of their robes with strong, authoritative grip, keeping the train of their garments out of the Galilean dirt, and approached these rapidly self-silencing people. They all parted to let the scribes into the open door. The scribes passed, chins held high under the low lintel. The inside scene was more of the same. The same sort of rabbleous-looking working people, men, women, and children, all scattered around casually. The room was lit by low-burning lamps set out here and there. Everyone hushed as they saw the scribes entering. And at the center of the room, sitting solidly upright upon a three-legged stool, was, they had to imagine, the exact man they'd come looking for. 
his head was set to the side just a bit, as if he'd been expecting them, waiting for them. And now he studies them for a moment before speaking. Then, his eyes narrowing, he beckons. Jesus called them to him. They crossed the crowded room, stood toe-to-toe, and then he spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan be the one who drives out Satan? They weren't sure if his question was rhetorical or demanded an answer. They stood there in a strained silence. After a moment, he went on. If a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot last either. The scribes continued standing there. And if Satan leads a rebellion against Satan, his days are certainly numbered. What in the world could they say to that, they thought to themselves. And then they watched the man's eyes narrow. No one can break into a strong man's house, he said, and steal his property without first tying up the strong man hand and foot. But, a gleam here passed through his eyes, a hardness set over his face, his shoulders, his whole bearing. But, if he did that, tied up the strong man hand and foot, he could ransack the whole house. The whole room was leaning in, listening. The scribes were silent, now looking down at their feet. Then, Unexpectedly, Jesus smiled. The gleam and the hardness faded away from his countenance. Believe me, he said, all men's sins can be forgiven and their blasphemies. He laughed aloud, (laughs) saying this. But then they watched his eyes narrowing once again. But there can never be any forgiveness for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, because they had been reasoning to themselves upon their journey, he is in the power of an evil spirit. The scribes left without another word being exchanged. They themselves had never uttered a word during the course of this whole intense episode. They retraced their steps across the top of the hill, down through the rapidly descending darkness, and walked off southward, back toward the capital. Just outside of town, they passed a family of travelers. The matriarch bowed reverently as they passed. She and her children soon walked up the same hill toward the same little house. For it was then, right then, that his mother and his brothers arrived. They experienced the self-same sound of hearing the crowd, the same upward-ascending roadway, the same approach, and some of the same considerations of the people standing outside under the night sky. They slowed to a stop as they neared the door. And then they stood there outside the house and sent a message asking Jesus to come out to them. There was a crowd sitting round him when the messenger message was brought telling him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. This was a whispered message intended only for him. Mary 
looking through the doorway, could see him where he sat. She saw the messenger she'd chosen, a middle-aged man from Bethsaida, crossing the room, kneeling on one knee, whispering those words into her son's ear. She saw her son's face brighten. Then it grew serious. He looked toward the doorway and saw her familiar silhouette. His brothers were lined out behind her, tallest to shortest. And Jesus replied, his eyes steadily watching the nighttime shadows that were his earthly family. And who are really my mother and my brothers? Oh, those words cut through Mary like nothing she'd ever heard. And then she watched as he looked round at the faces of those sitting in a circle about him, more of the same as she saw here on the outside, uh, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, AWOL soldiers, synagogue leaders, businessmen, mothers, fathers, prostitutes, children. The faces of this miscreant congregation of the formerly damned looked like angels as they were lit by the room's low lamplight. The face of her son, looking at them, was beatific, overwhelmed with an eternal and a heavenly joy. Look, he said, my mother and my brothers are here. His lips quiver with tears fighting to fall from his eyes. He speaks like a man possessed by something utterly. Anyone who does the will of God, is brother and sister and mother to me. Silence. Mary, the mother of this man, the widow of Joseph, formerly the carpenter of Nazareth, doesn't hear whatever he says next. She has turned her boys and walked off into the night, back toward Nazareth, and will leave her eldest to whatever it is that calls him onward. Silently, he watches them leave, then finishes that night's teaching with a parable that delights all.